With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, as the man said, welcome to After 9. Uh, my name is Wayne Hughes. I'm filling in for Trudy Clausen. I think I got that right this time, Steve. So I have Steve at the board. Steve, how are you doing today? Fine and dandy, thank you. Do you put him on the spot? <laughs> Way to go, Wayne. Yeah, no worries. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. It's a it's a bit of a rainy day, but um, at least it isn't snow. Shh, don't say that word. I don't think I have control over the weather, but <clears throat> if I did, <laughs> we would have summer all day. All right, I have with me James Douglas. Uh, James Douglas uh, is involved with the Story Institute, which is a acting school and is involved with the Barkerville Historic Town. And so we'll get into those. But first, James, tell me a little bit about James Douglas. Oh, well, I uh, I have been living and working in the Caribou and Northern BC regions now for about 25 years, uh, originally from the Okanagan, studied acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, and uh, toured for a number of years before eventually by accident finding my way to Barkerville for a summer. Absolutely fell in love with the place, so I worked there as an actor for about seven years, and then eventually went into the administration. I do media development and communications for Barkerville, and uh, I, um, through a whole series of happy accidents, became a filmmaker as well, and uh, very recently uh, filmed one of the first uh, feature films to return to Prince George, uh, not last March, but the March before. We filmed a great little movie called A Great North Christmas, Oh yes! Um, and then I was part of the production team on uh, The Way to the Heart, which shot here as well. Uh, my company, Barker Street Cinema, which I am partners with Norm Coyne, um, has been doing some producing since then, and then this opportunity came up to partner with a well-established acting school in Vancouver called Story Institute uh, to bring a professional acting program here to the city of Prince George. And uh, we've just finished our first month. Uh, We have 16 full-time students who are here Monday to Friday. We do some part-time courses on Sundays, and we're developing some new curriculum uh, to introduce in the spring. Oh, dear. All right. Well, that was quite the synopsis. It's it's almost like you've rehearsed that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. It sounded sounded very prepared. So are you you a native Prince George or where are you from? I'm not, actually. I I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, actually. Oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. Yes, I know. (laughs) I lived in Toronto for the longest time, so that was our stinky neighbor, Hamilton. Thankfully, I was transplanted to BC when I was eight, so I do consider myself from British Columbia. I grew up in the Okanagan, lived in Vancouver and Victoria for a long time. Uh, back and forth, and then I eventually made my way up here uh, into the central interior um, in 1998. That was the first year that I worked for Barkerville, so then uh, I just kept finding excuses to come back every summer, eventually decided it was ridiculous to keep moving back to Vancouver, so I decided to become a permanent resident, and then I just moved officially to Prince George uh, just this past September, although I have been working here for more than a decade, off and on. Okay, now just out of curiosity, when you were uh, just a wee lad, was there a specific teacher, was there a specific event, or maybe an actor or something that inspired you to become an actor? Um, well, I think to be perfectly honest, uh, the very first time I ever saw the film The Wizard of Oz, um, is I just, I was so blown away from it. I was probably about seven years old and just, uh, realized, I think it was the first time that I understood that people 
did perform for a living, like because I'd seen some of the people in that movie in other movies before. So my my father, who was a good inspiration for me, he was a local community theater actor oh, yes. most of his life. Um, really, we just started talking about the fact that you could do something like this as a profession. And it took me a while to really understand that that is what I would do. But like many actors, I did all the high school musicals and those sorts of things. Um, and then eventually went to the theater program at the University of Victoria and uh, then went on to New York because I decided that I really wanted to to really study the acting very, very seriously. Right. Um, so I'm not sure that there was any one thing that made me decide that. But one teacher, I can definitely tell you, a fellow named Keith Perry, who was the drama teacher for years at Clarence Fulton Secondary in Vernon, okay. uh, became my mentor very early on and was just a tremendous man and encouraged so many of us to, to follow our passions and and let us know that there's all sorts of multiple ways that you could turn the skills that you learn in the theater into a lifeline, a lifelong career in some form of acting or performing. Right. Do you remember your first um, walk on the... Well, my very first one was actually when I was around seven years old. I went to a daycare center and I, and I had liked The Wizard of Oz so much that I got a bunch of my friends together and we, we figured out how to improvise, act out the entire film. Wow. Uh, for, for the collection there. But the very first, um, like, community theater on stage performance that I had was the Powerhouse Theater in Vernon, British Columbia. Uh, they did a, a Christmas pantomime called The Return of Rip Van Snoozle, which was a, a Rip Van Winkle story. And right. um, even though I was, I think, about 12 at the time, I was a bit of a husky kid, so they cast me as townsperson number two. <laughs> I got uh, some spirit gum uh, mutton chops put on, right. and I got to wear a suit. And it was just so exciting to be playing an adult, even though I was still ostensibly a child. So uh, that was really... I think where the bug bit the the theater bug, sure. and then uh, just went on from there and and did whatever I could. And pantomime is is such a fun genre of theater too. Oh, right? it totally is. It's so silly and so much fun, and you really get a, a good reaction from the audience. And actually, that in a way sort of led toward Barkerville. That's one of the things that I love about acting in Barkerville, especially doing the street theater or the water wheel show, which is what I started with. There is that it's a very fourth wall breaking style of theater. You know, we're not mm -hmm. pretending to not be in in front of these people. Right. We're actually talking to them and, and allowing them to talk back to us. And then our performances are tailored depending on what kind of reaction we get from the crowd. And that is very much the same thing with pantomime. Right. And I was going to ask you, uh, and eventually, but I can ask you now, um, what were some of the roles you, you um, took on at Barkerville? Now, I imagine you did a number of different things. I did. Um, I originally, I played a fellow called Nigel Crookshank, who wasn't an actual historical character. Um, on the water wheel, we tend to do what we call composite characters because the show itself, and many of your listeners will have seen the show, so you'll know it's a bit of a dog and pony show. It's a couple of guys who are pretending that their mine has gold in it and they're, they're trying to sell shares. Um, and uh, then it's, it's just a great way to sort of introduce people to all of the working parts of the water wheel and underground mining and that kind of thing. Right. So we tend to stay away from the historical characters on that show because we don't want to per portray anybody f from history in a clownish light because so many people who come to Barkerville are actually related to the people <laughs> who lived there. We want to make sure that when we do historical characters, which we do throughout the park, that we're doing it with a, a certain level of respect. Right. Um, so uh, Nigel Crookshank was the, was the name that I chose for that. And then I did eventually play a historical character for a number of years. I managed the Richfield Courthouse and a fellow called Arthur Thomas Bushby, who was the chief clerk of the Supreme Court. 
court and sort of the right hand man to Matthew Bailey Begbie, the chief justice. Right. Um, I got a, I got a real good education in his whole life history and for four years was able to play him, uh, which was really exciting. I've played John Bowron before, who the Bowron Lake Chains are named after. Oh, he was right. one of the gold commissioners in, in Barkerville. I played Caribou Cameron, who was uh, another minor sort of at the same time as Billy Barker, who struck it rich, but just a few months later. And uh, he has a very famous story because his wife, who had come out to the gold fields with him and didn't really want to, um, passed away, unfortunately, oh, uh, while they were here. And just as he was striking it rich, uh, she passed away. So he buried her in the snow in a, in a lead-lined coffin that was filled with grain alcohol to pre- preserve her body. <laughs> and then in order to grant her dying wish, he sold stakes in his mine, uh, got about 40 different men. They all exhumed her body, brought her down uh, to the coast, got her... Uh, then on a ship that went eventually around to uh, allow him to get her back to Ontario, Cornwall, Ontario, which is where she was from. And then they they finally laid her body to rest in Cornwall in her family plot. It took a bit of a tragic turn. I mean, it's already tragic, but it took an even more tragic turn after that because for about 10 years, um, her family did not believe that, in fact, uh, Sophia Cameron was in that coffin. They really? they decided that he had traded her to the locals here for the secrets of the gold, and that what he'd actually done was filled that coffin full of gold, which is why it was so heavy. And so 10 years later, he had to actually pay to have her body exhumed, open up the coffin. The grain alcohol was still in there. So from all accounts, she looked perfectly preserved. She looked exactly the way that she had when she had died 10 years earlier. And he was finally able to put those uh, rumors to rest. But then he, of course, decided that Ontario was not a healthy place for him to stay anymore. So he came (laughs) back out uh, to Barkerville to try and uh, strike it rich again, which he never did. He did fairly well for himself, but he eventually died in Barkerville. And he's buried in the Cameronton Cemetery. Wow, that's an interesting story. And, you know, it kind of relates to a question I was going to have later again. But um, I read about um, on one of the social media sites about Barkerville and uh, Paranormal. Oh, yes. Uh, actually, there's a, a great film that's coming out. It's a two-part series on the T&E channel uh, that's going to uh, premiere on the 30th, so just in time for Halloween. And it was a trio of paranormal investigators, these three women, one of whom lives in Prince George, actually, Kelly, right. and then two of her high school friends who are sisters. And they um, they have always in their lives uh, experienced paranormal activity. Um, one of them, Corinne, is pretty much a self-professed medium and they are, you know, they're, they're very sensitive to sort of spiritual activity. And, and so they came to Barkerville a couple of times, actually, most recently last year uh, to do an investigation of the place. They were actually doing the entire Gold Rush Trail. So they went uh, right from New Westminster up, up to Barkerville and they filmed their, their adventures along the way and got an interest from a major, a major channel. And uh, now there's a two part documentary called um, Haunted Gold Rush, I think is what it's called. They're one of the latest of a whole slew of paranormal investigators that do like to come to Barkerville, um, especially around this time of year. Sure. So I probably worked with a dozen different groups over the last 20 years in Barkerville, um, all of whom have different experience, some of whom have similar experiences, which I have always found kind of curious. I'm, I'm quite a skeptic myself. I'm skeptic myself, too. there has been some things that I cannot explain that have occurred. Well, I wonder, you know, uh, because Barkerville was... Um wasn't just a, a, an English 
town. It had a lot of different people from a lot of different places, and I'm thinking there was a large Chinese population too. So I'm wondering that these mediums can only connect to people that speak English. Actually, no. Um, in fact, a lot of the activity that has been recorded over the years has come directly out of Chinatown, and specifically around a building called the Chikun Tong, which is um, the uh, Chinese Benevolent Society, the Hongmen. Um, it's uh, the first. It's actually it's a unique situation with Barkerville because the Chikun Tong is a national historic site, right? Because that building is the oldest ethnic Chinese structure in all of Canada. Really? Yeah. And wow. what that means is that Barkerville, which in itself is a national historic site has another national historic site inside of it. Wow. And I believe that that's the only place in Canada that you can say that about. So. That's crazy. Okay, I think we need to go to a break. Oh, well, you got lots of time. Do we? Okay. Uh, well, but when I was talking about paranormal experience, I'm thinking, what about your experience? Have you encountered a ghost? or? Um, I can't say that it was a ghost, but I do have one experience that I absolutely cannot explain. <clears throat> And that was back in the summer of 1999. Uh, so I was just my second year back in Barkerville. I was an interpreter working on the water wheel. And some friends and I, uh, one evening after the Chinese Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, actually, uh, so this is, this is mid-August at the time, um, we managed to find ourselves inside the Nickel Hotel, which now is a is a beautiful little satellite museum within uh, Barkerville. It's right next to the St. George Hotel. And the okay. St. George is the, the bed and breakfast that you can stay at in Barkerville. It's also purportedly haunted and the the uh the saint george and the nickel hotel were both owned by the same woman who was uh, fanny ben dixon back in the day um anyway so this was it was really just an empty shell of a building at this point because the restorations had not just hadn't quite yet begun so we went inside the building on the first floor and in the and of course it's probably around 11 o'clock at night, so we're all just primed for something spooky to happen. But within the, the building, almost in the dead center of the building, there was a column of freezing cold air. Now, this was mid-August, so it was quite warm outside, even at 11 o'clock at night. But right in the center of the building, there was a column of freezing cold air. You could put your hand all the way through it, and it was a perfect circle, but it was like a column. So it went from floor to ceiling. And it's a two-floor building. So then once we discovered that, we went upstairs. And sure enough, in exactly the same spot, from floor to ceiling, uh, a column of freezing cold air. Like it wasn't even – it was like being in a deep freeze. Um, and, I, wow. and I could never explain that. And, of course, a lot of investigators talk about the fact that massive uh, fluctuations in temperature is an indication that there's some kind of spiritual activity. Fair but, enough. But it, the fact that it's on two floors leads me to believe that it's a um, meteorological um, – uh, anomaly as opposed to a paranormal anomaly. You'd think that if it was just on one floor but it wasn't on the floor above, you'd think, well, that, that's odd. That, that, that would lean towards being paranormal. Whereas if it's, you know, within both yeah, so again, it's more meteorological. Than I have no idea. I mean, it could just be mm. too the nature of those tight, rocky valleys and the way yeah. that the wind blows or something like that. It could be like a little eddy of cold air for sure. But yeah, I just have no explanation for it. Crazy. Well, interesting. And as you said, that movie's being released on T&E on the T&E, 30th? yeah, on the 30th. Cool. I've seen the commercials. Have you? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll check it out. I've been to Bar- I haven't been to Barkerville in ages, but and how what 
what inspired you to go to Barkville? Where'd your- um, it was actually a buddy of mine, um, a fellow named Charles Ross, who was actually from Prince George. He's a Prince George native. Uh, he had been working. He, he and I met at the University of Victoria um, at, at the Phoenix Theater there. Oh, right. We were studying to be actors. And uh, he had been coming up to Barkerville for a couple of years prior. And there was a, another fellow that we worked with, Mike Rinaldi, who had decided sort of at the last minute to leave his job in Barkerville and go down to Fort Steele and work there for the summer. So uh, Charlie and the, and the fellow Dave Brown that he worked for, um, who played Mr. Grimsby in Barkerville for <laughs> years, everybody will know Mr. Grimsby. They were looking for somebody to fill in. And so Charles asked if I would come up and, and do the gig. And I, at first I was very resistant. I was doing, uh, you know, a little bit of Shakespeare in the park Ooh, in Victoria. Proper theater. And I, yes. And I thought, oh, you know, coming to a, a historic site, I'm not really sure if that's my gig. Um, but eventually Charlie convinced me that I should do it. And honestly, within the first week of being there, I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. This is such an amazing way to use theater, to talk to people and educate them not only about their past, but about their present. I mean, because really, in my opinion, that's what historical interpretation does best. It allows people to help understand the current cir- circumstances that society is in by looking at and comparing it to where we have come sure. from. You know? Yeah, and and to understand that we really haven't come that far. That's true. Yeah. In a lot of senses. It's interesting because that role seems to be a combination of being an actor and a mascot. In a way, it is. Absolutely, it is, for sure. And a little bit of camp counselor thrown in for good measure. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back. I want to talk to you about um, your experience in New York. Sure. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. At Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9, only here on 93.1 CFISFM. Are you a Roman Catholic who has been away from the church, are new to Prince George, or who just thought about becoming Roman Catholic? Father John Garden and the parish team at Immaculate Conception extend a warm welcome to join them for prayer in their parish community. Mass times are Monday to Friday at 9 a.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. as well as 7 p.m. For more information, call the parish office at 250-964-4898 or visit icparish.ca. In Prince George, DDR2 Computer Solutions is your first stop for sales, service, and repairs. Located just off Queensway at 857 2nd Avenue next to MetaChair, DDR2 can keep your business or home system running at peak performance. Their in-shop and on-site rates are competitive, so you receive quality service at an affordable price, plus there's a special rate for seniors. They also carry top-of-the-line laptops, motherboards, and graphics cards for high-end gaming. When you think of computers, think of DDR2. Call 236-423-2216. That's 236-423-2216. Forecast from Environment Canada. Showers ending this afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. South winds 40, gusting to 60, a high of 9. Clear tonight, winds gusting from the southwest and a low of 3. For Friday, sunny and windy, a high of 9. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. I am here with James Douglas. We were talking about his experiences at Barkerville Historic Town. Uh, we'll get to um, your um, Story Institute. Uh, you mentioned a bit of it at the beginning, but maybe we'll get into some detail on what exactly they do. 
But uh, and now I've forgotten what I what I was what I was going to ask him. New York, right, New York. Thank you. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happens when you get old. <laughs> so your experience in New York. How long were you there? And um, can you tell us maybe a little bit about what that felt like? Sure. I was um, I was there for just over a year. I'd had I'd been become obsessed with the idea of living and working in New York because of Keith Perry, the drama teacher that I was telling you about before. He made a point of making sure that his students experienced theater of all levels. So twice during high school, we raised money to go on a class trip to New York and get to go and see some Broadway shows and cool. that sort of thing. So it, it was really something that had sort of been tantalizing for for a number of years. And so when it came time to when I when I realized that I wanted to go to a conservatory acting program rather than continue uh, my university degree with UVic. I uh, set my sights on the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, uh, which has uh, a, a storied history of its own. Sure. Uh, Robert Redford went there, a number of other quite famous people. Danny DeVito was an alumni as well. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I auditioned uh, for, for the school, um, and I got accepted into the spring class of 1995. So this was 94 that I d made the audition. I could have gone in. The, the way that they do it is, is actually quite similar to Story Institute in that there's two intakes of first-year classes. So you can either start in October or you can start in February. Originally, I had planned to start in October of 1994, but realized I needed to save some money if I was going to live in New York, because it's one of the more expensive places at yeah. the time, especially yes. in North America. Uh, so I, I deferred to February. I went back to Vernon, um, lived with my mom for six months and worked at the Boys and Girls Club, and then eventually boarded a plane and uh, went to Toronto, where my dad lived, and then we took a train down to, to New York. And he set me up shop at the, uh, my, my temporary digs when I first got there was the West 63rd Street YMCA. Of course. Uh, which is right beside Central Park. It's actually quite nice. And mm. it was, it was, uh, relatively inexpensive for rents in New York. It's basically a hotel room that you're staying in. Right. But along with, uh, with your rent, you actually, uh, received a free YMCA pass. So I got to go to the gym all the time. And, uh, <clears throat> so that was really nice, except it was the dead of winter. So. Living there was a bit awkward getting to school because I didn't, again, have a lot of money. The school that I went to was was uh, down on Fifth Avenue, but like down like about maybe 40 blocks from where we were, 30 blocks maybe. So it was a, a bit of a hike every day. Um, and couldn't then afford I, a pass? No, I, I couldn't really. I, I, and to be perfectly honest, I was just so focused on what I was studying. I, I didn't, wasn't really thinking about that. Like I would take <laughs> subways from time to time. But um, I did later get a pass because uh, miraculously a fellow uh, named Bill Mall, who had been a, a previous student at the uh, American Academy, uh, put a little card up on, the, on our bulletin board, our message board, um, he was looking for a roommate. Um, he had a basement suite and an apartment in Queens. Mm -hmm. And I figured since he'd already been to the school and, you know, he would be able to show me the ropes a little bit more as well. So I left the, the YMCA after three weeks and moved into a basement suite in Queens, which meant that I had to take the subway course, every day. Of course, it's a bit of a walk. Yeah, it's a bit of a walk. But it was great because <laughs> Bill... I don't even know what he's doing these days, but uh, he had a lot of experience. He was a working theater actor in in New York. He'd been in a couple of movies, um, some people that he he was really good friends during his school year uh, with a guy named Gil Bellows, who's gone on to do quite a, quite a lot of stuff um, with a, an actor called Elias Coteus, who, among other things, was Casey Jones in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, um, which is why I, I think that's so cool. Um, <laughs> he was in a movie called Hackers with... Uh, 
oh, Angelina Jolie and wow. uh, Johnny Lee Miller. He has a very small part very at the beginning because a friend of his actually wrote the film. So I got to meet all these really cool people and sort of hear these stories about um, all these movie stars that would come through Bill's because his day job was that he worked as the bellhop at the Paramount Hotel in New York, which is the infamous hotel that Johnny Depp ruined a, a hotel room in one night oh. uh, about 20 years ago. Um, but uh, so I, I got to hear all of these stories and Bill was such a really nice guy. So it really helped because I was, you know, by myself in New York. I, I was making friends at the school, but it was really nice to just have somebody there who was able to kind of show me the ropes yeah. and take me to some places and stuff like that. And so I got a, a chance to see so many Broadway and off-Broadway shows as a result because the school, one of the things that they do is they get student tickets that you get for free. So you don't really know from night to night what you might be able to see. Right. But you, there's this opportunity to go and see some just world class theater, meet some inc incredible people. Um, you know, for people who are who are inclined that way, I would I would definitely suggest uh, living in New York at some time in your life. So it was great. the it was the academy and not the city because LA I'm sure has um um, acting schools as well. It, it does, and in fact, it does have an American Academy of Dramatic Arts. There's a campus in L.A. It was definitely New York that made me want to be there. Okay. Um, there was just something about that, the vibe of that place at that time. I mean, now, if it were me, I'm, I'm more interested in film and television now, so I probably would go to, to Los Angeles if, if I were 20 years old and wanting, wanting to do that again. Right. Um, but uh, at the time, I was, I was, it was theater and musical theater in particular that I was interested in, so New York was the place to be. Right. That or London. Or London, yes. And I did actually audition for the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts oh, okay. in London. And I made it to the third round of cuts, but then eventually they cut me. So uh, I went to New York instead. So I'm just curious, um, what was your audition? Um, my audition piece actually was a Canadian piece. And I, and I did that, um, from some advice, uh, of some friends who thought that, you know, you're going to be up against people who are auditioning with a lot of very well known American pieces. So you should do something that they had never heard of before. Uh, so I, uh, actually had the, the stage version of the book. So Michael Andante, um, is a famous Canadian author, wrote The English Patient and a number right. of other things, has a, a book of sort of prose poems called The Collected works of Billy the Kid. And uh, there's some really great pieces in that. And it was actually adapted into a stage play that Andachi was involved in. And there's a, a great monologue um, that's actually... Uh, it's a monologue that's by Pat Garrett, but he's talking about Billy the Kid. So it's, it's really a story of some, of, of Billy the Kid looking for, uh, a cat that is underneath, uh, somebody's, um, somebody's house. It's crawled underneath to die, basically, and is causing a tremendous amount of problems. And so the woman who owns the house has asked Billy if she would put this cat out of his misery. And so the whole thing is describing him and the feline way in which he sort of crawls around on the floor trying to find out exactly where this cat is before eventually pulling out a six shooter and shooting through the floor and killing the cat. Oh, oh. So, yeah, it seems a little gruesome. It's actually a little bit more poetic than mm. that, but apparently it was good enough to get me into the school. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. About that. Well, talking of schools, let's r reset and talk about your story institute. Sure. Now, I'm interesting, interested that um, uh, when you auditioned for the academy, you needed to come up with a piece. And is this the same format for your story? 
It is indeed, absolutely, yes. And in fact, because um, I wasn't involved directly in the selection of the students, uh, Michael Coleman, who is the the head of Story Institute out of Vancouver, and quite a storied, no pun intended, actor in his own right. Uh, most famously, he had a recurring role on ABC's Once Upon a Time, uh, which is a sort of a Disney, modernized Disney right. show. He played Happy the Dwarf, uh, one of the seven dwarfs in that show for a number of years. But he also has quite an extensive background in in voice acting for a number of anime um, shows, as well as pretty much every show that has filmed in Vancouver, Michael's been on. So like Supernatural, The X-Files, uh, he's been involved in uh, just uh, his, his resume is incredible. Um, so he was the one who actually auditioned all of the students to oh. come in. They wanted to make sure that for the first kick at the can that that he was having a connection with them as well as uh, making sure that the students who were coming in so we we literally were bursting at the seams in fact we have 16 full-time students that's as many as we can possibly handle right now and there were a number of other students who did audition who weren't able to make it into this first cohort as a result but we have a spring program that is uh, that is opening up again at the end of March so we have a waiting list for that as well okay well we'll get back to what the uh, back to the Institute uh, we're gonna have a quick break. Shortly after 2 a.m. on October 22nd, Prince George RCMP arrested two violent offenders after their uninsured vehicle rammed multiple police vehicles. Police apprehended the suspects after successfully deploying a spike belt on Demano Boulevard. Multiple charges are pending and the file remains under investigation. If you have any information about this or any other criminal offense, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report anonymously online through northernbccrimestoppers.ca. Self-directed life drawing is back Tuesday evenings through November 22nd at Two Rivers Gallery. Bring your drawing supplies and dedicate some time to drawing from a live and clothed model. The gallery supplies easels, drawing boards, paper clips, and a facilitator to keep time. All skill levels 18 and older are welcome. Commit to all eight sessions or take advantage of the drop-in option. Self-directed life drawings, 7 o'clock Tuesday evenings through November 22nd at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. The Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society has grief support services. Their family grief program supports grieving children, youth, and caregivers through three separate groups, children aged 6 to 12, youth ages 13 to 20, and parents and other adults who care for children. There's also a children's drop-in offered every Tuesday from 3 to 4.30 and one-on-one adult grief support available on the phone or in person. For more information, visit the Hospice Society website at pghp. CS.ca. The Studio 2880 Artisan Gift Shop and Gallery is expanding its hours for the coming holiday season. November 17th through December 22nd, the Gift Shop and Gallery will be open from 11 to 5 Tuesdays and Wednesdays, 11 to 8 on Thursdays, and Saturdays from 10 to 4. Extra hours to help you find that perfect locally handcrafted something for that someone special. Expanded Gift Shop and Gallery hours, November 17th through December 22nd at Studio 2880. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
We are here with James Douglas. Um, what, I'm, what would you be your role at the Story Institute? Manager, director? I'm well. I'm the the head. <clears throat> pardon me. I'm the head instructor and uh, the administrator for the Prince George campus. So All right. I teach the every day of the full time courses. I teach the the, the Sunday part time courses as well, and uh, I also sort of take care of some of the student needs and other things that we need to do while we're here. Um, as we progress over the next year and a couple of years, uh, we'll bring in more instructors as well. We do have guest instructors that come in uh, to work with the kids, but and I say kids, they're actually all adults, um, except for our Sunday courses. We do have a teen program as well. But um, so, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see other instructors sort of come in and fill in some of the slots that I currently teach right now. But right now I'm, a, I'm, I'm the, the guy here on the ground. Okay, so let's break down. What uh, consists of the program? Um, are, are there modules? Are there courses, classes? What? Yeah, so our, our full-time uh, program, which is called The Professional Actor, um, consists of, of – uh, a series of so it's Monday to Friday four hours per day I mean so that's four hours of instruction and of course there's homework and, and projects after the fact for the oh, students all right. um, but we have uh, a variety of different subjects so for example on Monday we do career planning and that's teaching the business aspect of being an actor because it's all fine and dandy to learn the skills of, of how to act but um, unless you really have an understanding of how the business works um, taxes uh, various things that you're going to need to invest in in, sure. how to make self-tapes, all that kind of thing. Um, we want to make sure that our students leave the six-month program with a very solid foundation in all of the things that they're going to need to do to be a professional actor. So we have career planning. On Tuesdays, we do voiceovers. So that's everything from uh, narrative work uh, to commercial work, like radio commercials to uh, animation, that kind of thing. Uh, so we work with uh, the Vault Studios, which is downstairs uh, here right. <laughs> uh, with the school as well. They've been a great partner with us. So where they have a voiceover booth that we can bring the students into and they get to work on right. various aspects of character building um, and, and other sorts of things that are involved in that. Uh, we do an improvisation class as well on Wednesdays. And improv is basically to get people kind of out of their shell, breaking down the, you know, the, the armor that we all wear, wear right. around every single day, start to learn how to play and, and be more reflective in the moment, uh, because it's really important as an actor to be able to, to take whatever is coming at you at any given time and work with that rather than try to shield yourself against what's happening around you. Do you find that the younger people are more apt to be that innovative and creative as opposed to the older? You know, I, I maybe would have thought that before, but no, in fact, I think once people have stepped on this, this journey, um, they're open. I mean, it, it, it takes a little while. Everybody has their own sort of level of, of comfortable, comfortability, if that's even a word, uh, of, of doing things like improv, which really pulls people out of their shells. Um, but uh, I found across the board that everybody has just been so willing to, to just give it a try. And then that works into our scene study program, uh, which is our, our Thursday class. And then we go from that into audition. And that's sort of the, the bread and butter of the acting program is how to do a professional audition, how to do a professional self-tape, because these days, so many times you're submitting things to casting agents who will then look at a bunch of uh, self-tapes as the first round, and then they'll select who they would like to have come in and, and do a, a live audition for the second round. I'm thinking that must be more important now than it was in the past. In the past, there would be in-person auditions. I imagine now with the technology we have, there's a lot more tapes or uh, one-to-ones on things like 
I wouldn't say Zoom, but uh, you know, on a more technical level than there was in the past. Absolutely, and uh, the digital revolution has helped so many th- people be able to to audition from afar, and it and it was definitely something that had been has been around for a number of years, but of course the pandemic really solidified that as the staple go to instead of the cattle call audition where you have two hundred people all show up in the same room waiting to their turn to do their audition. Now people send in usually through like a, a link to a Vimeo link or a YouTube link or something like that, or in some cases on a drive or on a disc, um, you get to sort of do that part from a distance and then really sort of weed down the, the selection of candidates to then invite people in. So it's a much smaller group that you're dealing with. And I do think that the pandemic really sort of opened people's eyes to, to the need to do that rather than bring them all together all at once. Right. So instead of having a portfolio and running around clutching your 10 by by 12 photo and, and going to the catacalls, you could have a portfolio uh, as a web page. You totally could, and many, many people do. And it's it's a really good idea to develop uh, a web presence for yourself as a professional actor, and that's one of the things that we teach in our business planning course, our career planning course. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. Um, now, um, you, you said that you're full. You, you're 16 is your capacity. You have a spring session coming up. Is that full too? That Well, we have a waiting list that has started. We, we will definitely be continuing to do auditions for that because there are there are spaces available. Also in the spring, we are, set, we are um, launching a second tier um, uh, program for students who have completed the professional actor six month program. There will be a, a second tier called the working actor that will deal a lot more with this idea of creating your own work and uh, teaching people the skills to use editing programs, that sort of thing. Oh. Um, and that's just been developed right now. Michael is going to officially launch it in November. So I don't have too much to say about it, but we're really excited actually. Well, that's cool. Now, is there obviously there's a cost to this? Yes, um, there is a cost. Um, for the full-time program, it's $10,000 for the, for the six-month program. However, it is a fully accredited program. Okay. So, um, student aid is, is available. Um, and most of our students are taking advantage of that. Um, so there is, you can get up to 87%, I think, of the tuition, uh, paid for through, through student aid. Okay, and so the benefit of having this course under your belt, now I'm not sure how it works in Canada, whether you need a a union card for you to be able to to appear in film? uh, Um, You do at certain levels, for sure, depending on what kind of um, filmmaking you're doing. Um, So on an an independent film like A Great North Christmas that we filmed here a couple of years ago, we did have an agreement with UBCP, Mm -hmm. which is the uh, Union of British Columbia Performers, Mm -hmm. um, because you you, you want to do everything by the book, absolutely. And so a certain percentage of our cast were, were full card UBCP members. Um, but then there were allowances for people who, who weren't yet in the union who could come in, but they could then get what they call apprentice credits. So you work on, an, on a number of productions, um, prior to becoming a full union member. So some smaller parts that might have one or two lines, that kind of thing. Um, and then you get to apply those credits towards a full membership over the course of, uh, you know, a year or two. And that's actually something really interesting about the, the working actor program that we're developing for the spring, because there will be enough because you, you can actually get credits through education as well. That's what I was, that's what I was. So if someone takes the professional actor program and then also takes the work, actor program, they will have enough education credits to be able to get their first uh, credit with the union. So it actually allows you to step out of your schooling with a, f- a foot up into 
uh, getting that union card and becoming a full-fledged member. So how many credits do you need to get a union card? Uh, I believe... You're putting me on the spot here. (laughs) So what do I do? I think there's a bit of a range, but it's anywhere from uh, three to five, I think. But um, I would really need to go back and look look at that. Okay, well, thank you. We were talking to James Douglas. Um, he's the head uh, facilitator sure. of the Story Institute and um, one of the actors in the Barkerville Historic Town. Now, actually, he had more of a role than an actor in that. Yes, um, primarily now I do media development for Barkerville, so I, I, um, I'm the one who... Um, liaisons with film companies who come in and want to use Barkerville as a location for one I do some communications work um, so media releases and that kind of thing but primarily going forward this year my main goal my main role with Barkerville is that I will be developing and producing a web series uh, for the park uh, that we hope to shoot in June wow. and uh, it'll be to start with a, a six part uh, 11 minutes per episode but it's a, a different sort of spin on Barkerville it's sort of a Schitt's Creek style comedy <laughs> about the running of Barkerville and it's a good way for us, again, like interpretation, to talk about some of the important things that go on in Barkerville, but do it slightly with a humorous take uh, so that uh, people will have a good time learning about Barkerville and hopefully come to visit. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your experiences in New York and your experiences with acting. And we wish you the best of luck. And um, if somebody needs to contact you when they want to get involved in this. Sure. Well, they can go directly to the Storium, uh, Storium, the Story Institute website, which is storyinstitute.ca. My direct email address is jamesdouglas at storyinstitute.ca. Awesome. All right. We're going to go to a break and we'll be right back. The RCMP is requesting your help in locating 47-year-old Daniel Keith Andrew, also known as Richard Keith Andrew. Andrew is described as an indigenous male, 5'7", 160 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, a native warrior tattoo on his right arm, a tattoo of dots on his left hand, and scars on his forehead and left eye, as well as right and left forearms. Andrew is considered violent and should not be approached. If you know his whereabouts, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. The Prince George RCMP is requesting your help in locating a wanted person. 25-year-old Mercedes Marie Styler is wanted for theft under $5,000 and failing to comply with her probation. Ms. Styler is described as a Caucasian female, 5 foot 1, 130 pounds, with blonde hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information about Mercedes Marie Styler or her whereabouts, please contact the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report anonymously to northernbccrimestoppers.ca. Learn strategies to maintain or improve your brain health with Introduction to Brain Health, Tuesday, November 1st, from 1 to 3 at your Prince George Public Library. It's never too soon or too late to make changes if you are concerned about dementia. To register or for more information, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Proof of full vaccination will be required to attend. Introduction to Brain Health, Tuesday, November 1st, from 1 to 3 at your Prince George Public Library. Forecast from Environment Canada, showers ending this afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. A south winds 40 gusting a 60, a high of 9. Clear tonight, winds gusting from the southwest and a low of 3. For Friday, sunny and windy, a high of 9. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, if you're just joining us, we were talking to James Douglas. Uh, he's... Um, 
a facilitator at the Story Institute who's also an actor uh, at the Barkerville Historic Town. Okay, coming up, we have an interview with Caleb Wilson on Caribou Hockey. It was done by um, Alan Wishart yesterday afternoon. And the main topic of conversation today, Caleb, the uh, U18 female AAA Northern Capitals played their first home games in the weekend, and they made their fans happy. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good weekend for the girls. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, home home ice advantage always always a little helpful for for them, and they were able to take a three game sweep against the uh, against the Comets. So that was a good good confidence booster for the girls for sure. Yeah, and very close games. I mean, the scores that I saw were what five two four one and three one. So it wasn't like they just trampled over them. No, definitely, uh, definitely not. Uh, you know, trampling by by any by any means. So it's uh, you know a little bit of a, a different year this year for us. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of young players uh, this season, and just trying to get uh, get in stride and keep pushing forward throughout the throughout the season. And I think is is there a new coach this year as well? Uh, yeah, this year there was a coaching transition. Uh, there's four new coaches uh, on staff. Mursad Moichin, uh, he was working with our U18 triple or sorry U15 AAA guys for for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's joined by Mike McKay. Uh, he's uh, been in the in the ranks before with our AA league, um, and then uh, an alumni Sage Desjardins. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a, uh, a home coach. Uh, she's unable to travel due to work and, and school commitments, but she's uh, she's behind the bench. And then uh, Lee J. Leslie is also uh, one of the the volunteer coaches this season. So a good good group of coaches that uh, you know bring a lot of insight and a lot of experience from from their personal careers in the game. And uh, looking forward to seeing how they can build into this young group. So Paige must be looking forward to this weekend as well. Her chance to finally crack the whip. Sage, yeah, she's uh, she definitely liked having being being on on the bench for sure. It looked yeah. like she was having a good time. So, and of course, winning always helps as well. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a nice uh, nice change for them. It's mm-hmm. been been a little bit of growing pains. Uh, you know, some players. Uh, you know, every year you, you're going to lose players. Last year, uh, we had two Grade Twelve goalies. Uh, obviously, a big big advantage in this league when you have that type of experience between the pipes mm-hmm. and. Uh, losing that and having a, a rookie goaltender, and then uh, well, both rookies, but one's uh, one's a grade twelve, and then one uh, I think she's fifteen, sixteen. So, yeah, a bit, bit of a change for sure. Yeah. And now, looking at the scores, though, it looks like the defense played really well on the weekend. Four goals in three games. In terms of the stats, yeah, the yeah. girls, you know, there's there's some some solid pieces there. Uh, you know, having having some veteran players back, Avery Maloney being one of them. Uh, you know, she's a she's a solid on the back end and smart with the puck. And I mean, we're we're uh, adapting, right? You have maybe a little, you need a little bit more scoring from from all all three lines versus you know your top line that we had last year and. Uh, yeah, defensively, we're we're able to, you know, the girls I feel are are engaged offensively on the back end, which is which is a good change. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of fresh faces, so it's uh, it's an adjustment period. But you know, they're they're there. I mean, Rachel Lowen um, plays a solid game for us. She's our team captain this year, and she's uh, she's signed with uh, Niagara University for next season, and. That's always a big, big thing, especially for a Northern BC product. I guess yeah. she's from Williams Lake, but 
Yeah, biggest surprise for me, I think, you know, Stacia Hebert. She's uh, five points so far this season, and she's a solid, solid player on the back end for us. And uh, it's nice to see her putting the puck in the net as well. Okay, and now this weekend, by golly, you guys get to stay at home. Yeah, another home set, uh, playing the Seals. So that'll be uh, that'll be an interesting battle. That's a team that uh, traditionally has struggled in this league, yeah. and right now they're they're having a good start to the season. They've got a couple really good offensive pieces and uh, good staff. It sounds like from my conversations with other teams, and um, it's, a, it's a big weekend. Uh, it's their Pink in the Rink weekend as well. So oh, okay, yeah. uh, another another good one for for them and. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, the girls are always, you know, very eager to play in front of their family and friends. And last weekend, they had a huge crowd out on on uh, on Saturday night, and that was really cool to see the support that they get. Um, you know, having a lot of Prince George players, and we got a couple from uh, Vanderhoof as well. So a lot of people coming in for these games, which is uh, always a treat when you know the first chunk of the season they've been on the road. Yeah. Now they've got. So they play uh, by my count. They play Friday night six forty five in Kin. One Saturday five forty five in Kin two, and then Sunday morning at eight fifteen in Kin two. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So now, is there one specific game that's the um, pink night? Yeah, that'd be Saturday night. That'd be the the bigger bigger of the three for sure. Okay, but I mean, all three. I mean, have they played the Seals before? Uh, this season, yes, I believe so. Yeah, they. I want to say it was down. Possibly during a showcase, they lost two wow. one uh, in that one. So, but that's the only one on the on the record right now. Yeah. Okay. So again, it looks like two fairly well matched teams. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a good matchup. I'm I'm excited to watch the Seals. Like I said, over the last few years, they've they've definitely been one of the teams that has uh, you know taken taken a beating mm-hmm. more so than than giving it. And this year, they're they're playing some good hockey and. You know, our girls have been working hard, and I think that chemistry is coming along, and they're kind of finding their groove, uh, which is always nice to see. And, um, you know, that last weekend there was a lot of positives to take away, and hopefully they can back in transition into into this weekend and, you know, get another couple wins for sure. Now, we, we do have to say some things change. As you said, Vancouver Island Seals looking like a, a better team this year than they have been. Some things don't change, though. The Fraser Valley Rush. 11 and 0, 69 goals for 10 against. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, they're definitely a, uh, a team that, uh, that has a lot of talent. I mean, they've got two fantastic goaltenders. Um, last year they were both rookies and they're both back this season, so that's a big deal. Um, yeah, they're, 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 you know, a well-oiled machine. Um, you know, it'll be, it'll, they'll definitely be tough to beat this season. I think it's, it's doable. I think there's teams in this league that, uh, there's a little bit more parity across the board. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year, uh, with the rush and, and their age outs. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see, see how that one goes, but they're, they're always, you know, they're well coached, they're well managed and, uh, you know, they buy into their systems and that's, they play good hockey, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. So now, for the games this weekend, Caleb, is there an admission charge to get in? No, no admission. Okay. Uh, that's the beauty of, of uh, you know minor hockey. Is as much as we're you know part of the BCEHL, it's it's still minor hockey, and there's no fees. People are you know more than welcome to come and watch, uh, cheer on the girls. You know they they love the support. Um, you know we love we love filling the barn for them. Uh, it's 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 a good atmosphere, and 
you know, they've they got they do a good job with uh, you know in terms of they got someone running music all the time, mm-hmm. and it makes for a for a fun fun evening of hockey. And you know, it's it's a different game than what you may be used to watching when it comes to watching men's hockey with you know maybe less physicality. But there's so much talent, mm-hmm. um, not only in our team but this league as a whole. And uh, you know, it's really cool to see women's hockey getting more of a foothold in in their communities and. Uh, you know these girls love having the uh, having the support and, and love playing in front of a good crowd. And the big thing, of course, remember is if you go out on Saturday night to Kin Two, make sure you wear something pink. Yeah, absolutely. You know we're trying to raise awareness around the pink in the rink, and uh, obviously for the cancer cancer research and everything like that. So. Uh, wear pink and uh, you know bring your bring your noisemakers mm-hmm. and cheer on the girls. It'd be awesome to have everybody out. Enjoy a peaceful shopping evening, complete with hot drinks, beautiful ambiance, and Christmas cheer. The Studio 2880 Thursday Artisan Shopping Evenings are perfect for finding unique gifts made by local artisans. Tables are available for local makers who create specialty artisan art or art products to take part. Registration and full details are available through the Thursday Evening Holiday Shopping link under Programs at Studio2880.com. Thursday Artisan Shopping Evenings, November 17th to December 15th at Studio 2880. Volunteer Prince George will be at the Autumn Market Sunday from 10 to 3. Stop by their table and check out the wide variety of volunteer activities available in Prince George. There's bound to be something that will pique your interest and keep you entertained and fulfilled through the coming long winter month. Volunteer opportunities on display for your pursual Sunday from 10 to 3 at the Volunteer Prince George Table during the autumn market in the Civic Centre. Join PGSO Music Director Michael Hall and the rest of your Prince George Symphony Orchestra for a multimedia exploration of Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, Saturday, February 4th at Vanier Hall. Sponsored by Dick Bile Law, experience this timeless classic in a brand new way. The evening will also include the overture to the Creatures of Prometheus. Tickets are available at the Symphony office and through pgso.com. It's Discovery, Beethoven's 6th, 7.30, Saturday, February 4th at Vanier Hall from your Prince George Symphony Orchestra. iSpark regional engagement meetings bring together individuals, community leaders, organizations, and stakeholders working in the areas of sport, physical activity, recreation, health promotion, education, and youth programming. This year will include a unique opportunity to engage in discussion on the creation of a new national strategy on Indigenous sport, physical activity, recreation, and traditional practices. Registration and full details for the Northeast Region's meeting on November 2nd is available through iSpark.ca. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. After nine, uh, that was um, the interview just before the break. Was uh, Alan uh, Wishart interviewing Caleb Wilson uh, of the Caribou Hockey Association? Yeah, yeah, talking about the uh, games coming up this weekend. Uh, so this weekend, big weekend heading into Halloween. Mm. Halloween is on Monday, <laughs> and uh, I've mentioned over the years uh, we get these top 10 lists sent to us every okay. once in a while sure uh, they're all they're, it's out of the u.s but still this is the uh, uh 2020s best cities for witches Ooh, yeah uh now they compared 200 uh, biggest u.s cities based on access to covens you had talked with uh people from the coven house that not that long ago yes two amazing uh, ladies tarot readers and astrology classes 
They also looked for cities brimming with natural healers, herbalists, and metaphysical supply stores uh, among uh, 18 total metrics that they used to figure out the top 10 and the the 10 worst. And this is the United States? This is in the States. So guess what number one is? Um, Salem. New York City. Okay. Actually, Salem's not even. I, I don't think Salem's large enough to qualify in the like oh, they said I the see. top two hundred. Okay. Uh, so New York number one, Los Angeles number two. So a lot of well, a little odd, but I think they get a lot of points for the tarot readers. You, you think and Portland astrology. would be in there? Uh, Portland number seven. Oh, okay. So not bad. Uh, number three, Houston. Yeah, Houston. Uh, well, they've just picked the top three cities in the United States, New York, Los yeah, Angeles, and Houston. Well, <laughs> well Chicago. Chicago's there as well. Uh, number five is Las Vegas. Interesting. Six, San Diego. Eight, Seattle. We mentioned Portland, number seven. Austin, Texas at number nine, and San Francisco at number ten. So a lot of California cities there. Austin, Texas. Yeah. Which is in Texas? That's a strange one, too. And and it's really strange when you look at the worst cities for witches, because uh, number one is Pasadena, Texas. Well, tied. Tied with Warren, Missouri, is it? Am I? Anyway, yeah. wherever Warren is. Uh, Patterson, New Jersey, number three. Number four is a bit of a surprise because at number five of the best is Las Vegas. Number four of the worst is North Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I guess there's a line there where, you know, no witches pass this Some line. Some ethereal yeah. line. You, you get on the other side of the yeah. tracks. Uh, number five, Thort, uh, Thornton, Colorado. Uh, Olaf, Kansas City, is at number six. Yonkers, New York, at number seven. I don't know. Uh, Miramar, Florida, at eight. Bridgeport, Connecticut, at nine. And uh, Cape Coral, Florida, at number ten. Well, of course, finally, Florida really not. Well, I don't know. Swamp witches, you've heard of that, right? Yeah, finally, at Connecticut or something. I was I was thinking more um, Pennsylvania for, you know, for for these kind of like the top ten or yeah. the bottom ten. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. Massachusetts, 10, some yeah. places like that because they got a lot yeah, of yeah. history. Yeah. No, for sure, and yeah. and yeah, yeah, Boston is instead you get but all California, these California Texas took over. Well, there's only two Texas cities in there, but it's funny Boston isn't in there. Yeah, you'd expect something from the uh, uh, New yeah. England area, yeah. right? I've never but been to North Vegas though. No. I I thought that was strange. North Vegas, okay. Uh, if you, yeah, if you're a witch, go to Vegas. Just stay out of North stay Vegas. Out. You don't want to be going to North Vegas. Yes, yeah, big sign. Yeah. No witches. I don't know. I don't know. Strange. Uh, I I I guess North Vegas must be the posh part of. And who knows? Vegas. Perhaps I don't know. I've I never even realized there was such a thing. So I did find it interesting know. that Texas had anything to do with witches, other than being. You know, the worst. Yeah, yeah. It's the Bible Belt down there. And, and you would actually expect something like New Orleans in there as well, because there's a lot of yeah. that uh, voodoo, uh, voodoo and, yeah. and that kind of a cult down yeah. on the bayou, right? Yeah. yeah. You get that kind of sense, but uh, it didn't need neither plus or the minus side of that Even if you equation. get into Mississippi, you know, like yeah. weird yeah. stuff. Well, who does the uh, top ten? Well, it's just this uh, company out of uh, the States. And as they say, they use page. these different metrics to, to do it. So there we go. Yeah. Happy always, Halloween. Well, you got to <laughs> wonder, you know, <laughs> you know, measuring witches. Anyway, that's it for us. 
Uh, have a happy Halloween, and I'll be back next week for my final After 9, I hope. Yeah. I hope. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair, with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is Community Radio 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by Prince George businesses like Copar Administration.